I have to tell you, um, you, you, you host communion on Palm Sunday in defiance of the governor saying that church is non-essential and not many people care. And then you defy a judge's uh, restraining order. Not many people care. You take your tie off to some racy music and you make Fox News. I mean, I can't. <clears throat> and if anyone has a problem with that, Second Samuel chapter 6, um, read it. Uh, David danced in his underwear. I didn't even get remotely close to that. So, um, yeah. It's been a, an interesting week, and if you haven't had a chance, by the way, that the Sunday uh, service had 60,000 views as of last appearance, so uh, it's, it's making inroads. <clears throat> if you haven't had a chance to see the last uh, two live streams, um, we had uh, Matt Staver, who is the Dean of Liberty University Law Schools, argued two, or not two, many cases before the U.S. Supreme Court and won. Uh, we also had Congressman Bob McEwen. Uh, Matt Staver covered the Supreme Court decision in New York um, over Governor Cuomo, and he is currently <clears throat> going before um, uh, the Supreme Court, Justice Kagan, uh, with his case for Harvest International with Pastor Che on, which will affect, uh, I think there's over 100 churches in Harvest International. And that being said, um, the case... Uh, that, they, that they carry is, uh, and, and actually what our governor's done far exceeds what Governor Cuomo's done. So that looks very promising, and um, everything is moving in our favor. Uh, I would also add that um, what's taking place, and, and he covered that in the live streams, what's taking place with uh, the, the controversy over the election and um, the misdeeds are being exposed. And I just have to tell you, <clears throat> this election's not over by any stretch of the imagination. There's, there's going to... And then uh, Congressman McEwen last night, and if you didn't see it, you need to, because there was um, an earth-shattering article that came out, a, a study by Johns Hopkins. This isn't some fly-by-night, but Johns Hopkins, and they've since censored it and tried to pull it off and apologize for it. Uh, but basically what it's saying is there's no increase in the death rate, especially amongst the elderly, uh, and they're scrambling to try to figure this out, and you're watching you know, all the numbers try to, because there's just so many death certificates. Uh, and, and as they're looking, they're, what we're seeing is a, a precipitous decline in influenza, pneumonia. We've never tracked a virus where we've combined it. We can't get clear data from the CDC. But what we do know is there's not an increased death rate amongst the elderly in regards to this virus. And I'll, I'll point it out to you in our own county. I'll point it out to you in our own county. And this, by the way, this Johns Hopkins study was done with CDC data that they had access to. They didn't like the conclusion, so they've pulled it off because it doesn't fit the narrative of frightening you to death. And by the way, with an increase in positive tests, positive test does not mean a positive case. We've already seen that this testing is problematic at best. But we have our county health official, Dr. Robert Levin, who now is 12.5% a year annually richer with the raise that we've given him. And I don't know why, because he's been responsible for destroying our economy and taking away all of our livelihoods and our life savings, and that's just unconscionable. Dr. Simone Gold, ladies and gentlemen, right here. <clears throat> so, um, and, and I'm going to have her speak in a moment, but that's going to be towards the end. Now, are you, because she was supposed to do at the beginning, and I'm, I'm already into my shtick, so. <laughs> she got stuck in traffic, right? You know what? I can start over. Come on up. Dr. Simone Gold, get up here. Come on, come on, come on, yeah, come on up. 
Just say hello. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, she's amazing. And um, by the way, Dr. Simone Gold, we did a we did a live stream in D.C. Yeah. And the views went through the roof on this one. Um, she is one of the frontline doctors who is not buying into the narrative of the deception. She looks at the CDC data. She's been contending. It's come at a great cost. Anyone who's standing against this tyranny is, is getting adversely affected. She's lost her employment as a result. And I'm kind of stoked on that. I, I know that sounds strange, but it's freed her up to go across the country. And I want us all to support what she does. And because she's amazing, and that's all there is to it. So, you have anything you want to share? All right, take it over. I, I, don't, I don't know what she's going to share. She may go on for a while, but I'll still get through my stuff, and we'll get out on time, I promise. Thank you for that warm welcome, and I'd like to say it's probably a whole lot easier to precede you than to follow you, because you're such a good speaker. <laughs> um, what I want to talk about today, uh, first of all, I'm so happy to be here. You have no idea. I've, I had heard of you for many months, and it was a pleasure to finally meet you a little while ago. What I want to say is a little, bit, a little bit strange, a little bit unexpected, and I've been waiting a long time to say this, so you all are the first to hear it. And that is, how much should you listen or not listen to scientists? To understand just how important a tool scientific disinformation is in causing a particular political result, I have to reference Nazism, not to be sensationalist, but simply to demonstrate what happens when people put excessive faith in scientists, including people like me. It is very underappreciated that the Nazis relied heavily upon science. The Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Human Genetics and Eugenics supplied the Nazis with scientific support for sterilization, racial hygiene, brain biopsies of marginalized persons, that would be people with epilepsy or learning disabilities or mental retardation, horrific twin studies, and of course the Nuremberg Law, which proved scientifically that there is a Jewish race. Using doctors, geneticists, psychiatrists, and anthropologists, the Nazis sterilized, annihilated, and euthanized millions in the name of public health and for the greater good. It so happens that the director of this institute was widely considered not to be political or even anti-Semitic. He was typically described as just being enthusiastic about science, and in fact, he himself was a Nobel Prize winning scientist. After the war, he defended himself by saying that science was apolitical and that therefore Nazi science must have been pseudoscience. Conveniently, today's scientists agree, yes, Nazi science then was pseudoscience, unlike today's truthful science. But is that true? At the time of the Nazi science, Dr. Mengele corresponded with this institute in the very precise language of science and medicine. The publications themselves used scientific methodologies in speech. And even 40 years later, during a court testimony, it was said that the scientific value of these experiments was not tainted by being carried out on murder victims. Everybody held it to be true science at the time. It looked and sounded and acted like real science, and it's revisionist history to later call it by a different name. This hyper-reliance on science, on scientists, even those considered apolitical, is happening today during COVID-19. This may sound strange from a person who knows herself to be a scientist. I trained to be a physician at my, at my father's knee. I accompanied him frequently to the hospitals and to the nursing homes. In the evening, he saw patients at our home, and my mother, who was also a full-time teacher, managed his practice. I graduated medical school when I was 23, I am emphatically a scientist through and through, and I believe in science. But I urge all of you, with all of the initials listed after my name, with all of the diplomas I painstakingly earned, 
When a scientist tells you that science is in conflict with the truth according to God, tell the scientist to keep searching. Right? True science has never and never will fail to accord with Torah. Beliefs considered irrefutable, except for the fact that they conflicted with the Bible, have always in the end given way. This has been proven over and over again. For example, centuries-old, universally accepted practices such as idolatry, human sacrifice, eugenics, and evolution have given way to monotheism, sanctity of human life, and the Big Bang Theory, which is as close to scientific proof of creation as science can deliver. So when the science does not accord with the Torah, as they are telling you now, tell the scientists to go back to the drawing board. And when the propagandists fill you with fear, tell them you reject their words. Human freedom is in even more jeopardy than 1940 because evildoers' most enduring weapon is propaganda. And unlike 1940, today propaganda is sweeping the entire globe. If you are the type of person who wants to know as much scientific truth as possible, watch the videos and read the papers on americasfrontlinedoctors.com. You will learn that COVID is a trivial virus in the scheme of human history, there's absolutely no reason to live in fear. There is early and preventive treatment if you want it. But as hard as we doctors have worked to bring you this information, doctors only play a supporting role. The eternal truth is that even if this were a more malevolent force, the way forward will never come from scientists. COVID-19 is merely a test to see if you will honor his teachings. God could have positioned lawyers or electrical engineers or astronauts against his word. It really doesn't matter. In this particular round, he chose scientists. If you need to be informed, by all means, get informed. But whether you know one fact or a hundred regarding the coronavirus, your scientific understanding is ultimately irrelevant. Whether educated or ignorant, you know that God has mandated that human beings are free sovereign beings, and you must never comply with people who tell you otherwise. <clears throat> to those who complain it is difficult, I want to remind you of the heroic Rabbi Akiva, who had an extraordinarily difficult life, including enduring the death of all 24,000 of his students due to an epidemic in the mere seven weeks between Passover and Shavuot. In addition to the human tragedy, this represented his entire life work. And then, while being tortured to death, his skin being flayed open by iron rods, rods Rabbi Akiva said that he felt blessed. He explained that until the moment he was dying, he had always wondered if would I really love God even if my soul were being taken. I at last have the opportunity to demonstrate this. Never think that you must follow tyrannical orders. You most certainly do not. You do not need to close your business. You do not need to wear a mask. You do not need to live in fear. You have a choice. In keeping with God's plan for me to be a free human being, I have turned my life upside down to speak the truth. And I'm so honored to stand with Pastor McCoy today 
and always. That was awesome. That was so sweet. Thank you. You get a hug. Bless you. You're amazing. How do they support you? America's Frontline Doctors. Yeah, okay. Wow. You guys got a treat. First service didn't get that. By the way, is this your first church you've ever come to? <laughs> We're all Americans. We stand together and we understand that rights don't come from men but from God. And I, I wanted to encourage you uh, this morning, and, and, and the Lord put this on my heart, and I, I believe it is a message for right now. Um, we're at a precipice, and, and it's, it's time that we remember something. I think America's forgotten. And the Lord put that on my heart, this idea of remembering. I, I love what Simone was saying about remember. And, and the idea is, I think you've forgotten who you are. I, I, think, I think Christians in our community have forgotten who they are. I think in, uh, Christians in our state have forgotten who they are. I think Americans have forgotten who they are. And today we're going to take time to remember. God declares us to remember, and we're going to do that. So if you have a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, the folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Just raise your hand. <clears throat> it's a real easy book to find. It's at the very end. <laughs> and chapter 2 comes after chapter 1, so it's real... In a moment, I'm going to have you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. And when we do, I'm going to show a few verses. And as I'm showing you these verses, the ones that are highlighted on the screen, I want you to say out loud. Because it's going to help you to remember. Um, and so, with that, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at verse 4. It's real simple. This is uh, the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. He's in his 90s. They tried to boil him alive. He's a last living apostle. God gives him a revelation of the seven churches. He's speaking of the church of Ephesus. And he has some words to say to them. And I'm going to have us read verses 4 and 5. And I'll put it into context for us. But I'll read it out loud. The only thing I want you to read out loud is the word that is highlighted John writes, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now I want us to take a look at Exodus 13. Don't read the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is going to be at the top. I know it's in red, but just skip it. I only want you to read the one word in the passage. And Moses said to the people, this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, by strength, by, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. And then Galatians 5.1. Stand fast therefore in the by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is And then Jesus says in John 8, And you shall And the truth There you go. And then finally, this, well, there are two more, but this one is on the Liberty Bell, by the way. You shall consecrate the 50th year. And then Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And by the way, uh, Jesus uh, quoted this. And he said, in in the hearing of the word, I fulfilled this. So he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and in the opening of the prison to those who are bound. As you're standing, I want you to see this because this is what God's put on my heart for all of us. Not just as followers of God, but as Americans. It's a time to remember who you are. And to remember the liberty God has given you. We've forgotten as a nation. We have yielded to this tyranny. And we have to remember who we are. And so we're going to take time to do that. God commanded it in Revelation 2. He's commanded it in Leviticus. We've seen it in Exodus. And it's a time to remember. God loved to go through history lessons with the people. Even Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the two men went through a whole history lesson. Folks, it's time to dust off the old book and let's remember who we are. Lord, in the hearing of my voice, I pray that all would come to understand who they are in you and who they are as Americans. That there would be an awakening across this land and there would be a revival that we would know this truth and this truth would set us free. And Lord, you said that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so, Lord, I I pray that we would come to understand today that you have come to set the captives free, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and that we would proclaim it throughout all the land. God, awaken us. Take away this fear. Let us not fall prey to the sin of the church of Ephesus. Lord, let us return to our first love. I ask, God, that you would bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would push uh, the slide, you can have a seat. If you'd put the slide back to Ephesians Excuse me, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, thank you. Uh, Verses 4 and 5 of Revelation chapter 2. God is speaking to the church at Ephesus and he takes time for each of these churches. And in context, it's an exhortation and a challenge to many of the churches who had been struggling. And each of them had their own issues. The church at Ephesus, interestingly enough, is one that reminds me of my, my precious brothers and fellow shepherds here in the Conejo Valley. They are my friends. They are my brothers. And I love them. They have chosen not to open. They have chosen to appeal to the supervisory board to obtain a waiver from perpetual purple to red. They have yielded in their desire and they have offered to allow their churches to be inspected and registered by the health department. They have laid out concessions in order to obtain favor from this governor. I love them. I know why they're doing what they're doing. They are peacemakers. They are tender men. 
but they're wrong. And I say that with absolute love in my heart. They probably seem to think I am, and that's fine. But to yield to tyranny is not to proclaim truth. You see, we know the severity of the virus, or I should say the lack of. We know the data. We haven't had a death in this county since November 3rd. We have plenty of ventilators, and our hospital beds are not being overrun. We have a lot of positive tests, not a lot of positive cases. We've increased testing. We're supposed to do 150 a day. We're doing over almost 500. And yet, based on that and these, these unattainable metrics by the governor, we have sat idly by while he has completely destroyed our community. They come to shutter our churches, destroy our businesses, allow the abused in our communities to be quarantined with the abusers. They've shuttered our schools and our children have gone without the school we paid for for over a year while they've all received their salaries. And the, the, the doctor, the, the health officer, Dr. Robert, Robert Levin, got a 12.5% raise. All while the, Let's turn off the phones while we're at it because I keep hearing them go off. And, and then I'll keep repeating myself and then we'll never get out. And we'll blame you. And go ahead and hit the switch, because when someone's cell phone goes off, we've electrocuted the chairs, and that person will get shocked. But that, I, I just want to tell you. <laughs> no, uh, but, but Dr. Robert Levin got a 12.5% raise, and the governor had, had a meal with 22 of his uh, friends, including health officers from the state, shoulder to shoulder, no masks. The bar bill was $15,000. We got to pay for it. He lied to us. It was indoors. He said it was outdoors. He said it was a few people. It was everyone. And, and, and it was a Michelin three-star restaurant. And the appetizers are $400 a plate. I can't even imagine what the bill for the, the dinner was. All I, do is I, all I do know is this, that we had Thanksgiving, and we apologized in advance, just like the governor did, no consequences. And, and we were shoulder to shoulder, no masks as a family, and we had non-family members. And I just, I'm, I'm going to say it over the line, come get me, arrest me. And we had a great time, but our entire meal for all the people we fed was less, it cost less than one of your appetizers for one of your 22 guests. And we paid for it with our money, you paid for it with our money, and you laugh at us, and we're done with it, and, and I don't know why you get a 12.5% raise, Dr. Levin, when you are destroying our community, and I'm struggling with newspapers in this community that tow the narrative of frightening everybody by positive tests, not positive cases, and they buy into this stupid narrative to justify the destruction of our community, and if you're a business and you're advertising with any paper that carries that narrative... Pull your advertising right now. And I say that because as a community, we need to remember who we are. And the ones that have to remind us are the shepherds. And to yield to tyranny is to compromise truth. The Lord had nice things to say to the church at Ephesus. He said, you've persevered, you have patience, you've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. The church continued to do these things and they hadn't become weary. And I have to say of my fellow shepherds in this community, they are some of the hardest working men I've ever known. They love the Lord and they're tireless in proclaiming the gospel. 
that we are separated from God by our sin, that Jesus died on a cross, completely God, completely man. He paid the penalty for our sin because the wages of sin is death. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. He was crucified, buried, and resurrected. And if you believe in your heart and you confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You're saved by grace through faith. The shepherds in this community proclaim that. And they do it faithfully. And they would yield to tyranny in order to continue to have that voice to proclaim that gospel. And I'm grateful for their unwavering commitment to that gospel. And they don't weary in declaring it. They show godly perseverance. And by all outward appearance, they're solid churches. They work hard. They have great outreach. And they do their best with what they know to protect the integrity of the gospel. But the declaration to the church at Ephesus that was critical is that God said, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Despite all the good in the Ephesian church and the churches here in the Conejo, there's still something wrong. What does it mean to leave your first love? It's interesting that they left their first love. They didn't lose their first love. They once had a love that they don't have anymore. I like what Robertson says. He says, this can be described as a definite and sad departure. Spurgeon said, there's nothing wrong with that initial excitement or wanting to remain or be restored. When we were in our first love, what would we do for Christ? Now how little we do. Some of the actions which we perform when we were young Christians but just converted. And when we look back upon them, they seem to be have been wild and idol-like tales. I say that because I remember my first love, Michelle. I remember being so smitten with her. We've been married 30 years. I was a sales rep for Cheeseboro Ponds, Unilever, I can't remember which. I had a company car. It was the end of the quarter. I had to make my number. I was driving everywhere. They were going on a family vacation to the Pecos in New Mexico long before there were cell phones. Long before you had Google Maps, you had to use a map made out of paper. And then forget, you know, zeroing in and getting to see an aerial view of a satellite picture of the location you're going to. We didn't have that back then. The map we had said Pecos. It was a dot in a wilderness and I wanted to surprise her. She so wanted me to come on their family vacation. You see, her grandfather had died before she was born in 1967. And her grandmother remarried. And her grandfather, step-grandfather, had owned a cabin in the Pecos in New Mexico that had been in the family for over 100 years, long before New Mexico had become a state. And they would go there every year. And it's an amazing cabin with rich history right on the Pecos River great trout fishing, and they invited me to come, and, and I was smitten with her, but I was so busy, and I had to make that number. I worked diligently. I put many miles on that car. I hit my number. I succeeded. It was late that night. I got the last data in. I had sent it in. I cleared my paperwork. I got in my car, and it was late, and I began to drive. I drove, I think it was Fresno, California. I drove from Fresno to New Mexico with a map that had a dot that said Pecos. 
No cell phones. There was no phone in the cabin. And the only place she called me from was from a payphone at a general store in Pecos. Didn't matter. I loved her. I drove all night into the morning. I got there. I found the general store. I found the payphone. And the, the sun was just coming up. I didn't know what to do at that point. I was tired. So I got in my car and I began to drive in the area because I knew she would walk to the payphone. I discerned that. So I knew it couldn't be that far away. And there I saw my father-in-law's two-toned Lincoln Continental parked in front of the cabin. I thought, that's it. There was a hammock, and I was tired. I got out of the car, and I got in the hammock, and I fell asleep only to awaken to everyone marveling that I was there, and I became legendary in the Coletti clan. (laughs) Bigger than life, that's what love does. When you're newlyweds, you sleep face to face. Even though your breath smells like the north end of a southbound donkey, it doesn't matter, you're in love. It just doesn't seem to affect you. You can breathe in and out and you're not gagging. You just, it's like perfume. But as you get older, you take that love for granted. You sleep with your back facing your spouse. You have your patterns. You have categorized your love. Your your affection is now displayed by your toe reaching back to just let them know you're there. So unbelievably romantic, especially with the fungus you've obtained on that toe. You forget to tell each other you love each other. You forget to give each other a hug. You, you don't go for walks. You love them. You're committed to them. You're, you're committed to that marriage. You, you see your identity. You know who you are, but you have forgotten who they are and what they mean to you. And gone, gone is the willingness to go to great lengths to be a blessing. And this is what happened to that church. Somewhere along the line, we allowed the tyranny of the urgent to quench the flame of our love. We've allowed the tyranny of life, to stifle the love that we've been called to. And the Lord knows how that works. For each of us, when we had given our heart to Christ, we were so moved. I remember as an early Christian, there wasn't anything I wouldn't do for God. I, and then I find myself over the years becoming complacent and categorizing my Christianity and, and seeing that we've, we've operated and we're building buildings and we're good with that. And, and we, we preach the gospel and people raise their hands and we put people in water and, and we rejoice in that. And, and the, the budgets become important and the staff and the buildings and, and, and then we lose the willingness to drive great distances. All motivated by love with very little information as to where you will arrive at your destination. It doesn't matter. I'm in love. We don't want to move without the facts. We don't want to move without a phone number. We don't want to move without security. And yet, I look back on a first love and I think, Lord, I did that for Michelle. I I do that for you. I don't know what the future holds as we take this course of of contending with tyranny. I don't don't know if we'll remain open. I don't know what they're going to do to me. I don't know what they're going to do to you. I, I don't know. 
I don't know if we're going to win, but it doesn't matter. I don't need to know that. I love him, and I love liberty, and I know who I am, and I want to return to my first love, which is Jesus Christ. It's the Lord, and I want to serve him. And that's all there is to it. Now, people become envious of those who have a love. They want what they have. They just don't want to do what is required. I find it funny that at my age I become attractive to the opposite sex. And I know why they're attracted to me. Not because of my looks. I've looked in a mirror. It's not that. (laughs) They're attracted to what I possess. A good life. They want that. And they think that it's me that has made that possible. I, I, it's the absence of me that has made that possible. It's the presence of Christ that's really made it possible. If it was up to me, I wouldn't have the life I have. And what you're attracted to is, is the Lord. That's a good thing. And so in this passage, as I think of our fellow shepherds, they're busy, they've categorized, and in the face of tyranny, in the tyranny of life, their love has diminished to the point where they wouldn't stand in defense of the one they love when a tyrant comes to silence. And the tyranny of a busy life is the same of tyranny of a governor that would quench the love we would have for our Savior and for his bride. And so the Lord says, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. The first step in restoration for this church was to remember. You need to remember where you've fallen. For me, it's to go back to when I was just smitten with Michelle. There wasn't anything I wouldn't do. It's to go back to that time when I first gave my heart to the Lord and I had been forgiven the immensity of my sin and there wasn't anything I wouldn't do for God. And the Lord reignites that love. When the prodigal son was in the pig pen in Luke 15, the first step in his restoration was remembering what life was like back in his father's house. And you want to go back there. This is always the first step in getting back to where we should be with the Lord is to remember. It's time to dust off the old books and remember who we are as Christians and who we are as Americans. The other is, when the Lord says, remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen, he says, and repent. I love what Robertson says about repentance. He says, this is not a command to feel sorry or to feel anything. It means to change your direction, to go a different way. It is an urgent appeal for instant change of attitude and conduct before it's too late. Do the first works. They must go back to the basics, to the very things they did when they first fell in love with Jesus and to remember who you are. These are the things that we never grow beyond. And then finally, God had said something to this church. He said, you have contended with the Nicolaitans and I hate them. And as you examine who these Nicolaitans were, the word translated Nicolaos, it means literally to conquer the people. They were elitists. They, they sought an oligarchy. They wanted clergy to stand above the laity. They didn't see equality in dignity. 
They didn't understand that we're all equal in the sight of God and that if we want to be great in the kingdom of God, we're to be servants of all. God wanted them to contend with them. God hated that. He hates it when other human beings enslave or rule over in a tyrannical manner those who've been created in the image of God. God wants us to remember And so I want to take you through some things that we're going to remember in order to return to our first love. And if you can bring me to the slide, uh, the one with all the words in red that I had at the conclusion. Do you remember that one? There it is. A time to remember who you are and remember the liberty God has given you. I want you to see these five things and I'll get it done in time. I promise. Number one, you have an identity as an individual. As a follower of God... You have an identity as an individual. We're going to cover this. I just want to walk through them real quick. Second, remember that you are equal with God-given rights. I'll show you this momentarily, scripturally speaking. Three, you can follow your conscience. That's a good thing. Four, you can own property and decide what to do with it. You can even be charitable. Five, You can decide what to do with your life, what career to pursue, where to live, what food to eat, what clothes to wear, what music to listen to, who to marry, what to believe, and what church to go to. God's given you a free will. But it's still His earth. You're drinking His water, living on His dirt, breathing His air, eating His food. You say, well, no, I'm a self-made man, and I've often said to you, and will continue to, what part of yourself did you make? (laughs) You live in a world of matter. You fashion and design. You don't create out of nothing. You've been given matter. The brain that operates for you to be able to think these things up and design what you've designed is given gift of God and you're accountable to Him. Now, you you can choose to deny that. You can exchange the truth for a lie. You can sear your conscience. But you're bound by the laws of nature and nature's God. Galatians 3 says that the laws of school teacher guardian to point us to Christ until faith comes. Our founders understood this. They understood that the law was critical for the survival of a nation. But the law is the wise restraints that make men free. The church has abandoned the law. We no longer participate in the public square. And as a result, we've forgotten who we are. We've, we've not contended with the Nicolaitans. We've allowed them to conquer the people, to enslave them. And it's time for us to remember. Remember. Not only are you children of God, you're also Americans. Now you say, why do you have to include the two? Because in the 6,000 years of recorded history, there has never been a nation that has defined and declared that these rights don't come from man, they come from God and they're inalienable and that government (laughs) governs by our consent and the authority in the nation is found in the individual, we the people. And they are bound by those seven articles. And when they violate them, we the people with individual responsibility before God and each other must push back and tell them, you are outside your boundaries, get back in your fence. And if you don't do that, you've lost your first love. You're not contending with what God hates, the enslavement of mankind. He doesn't seek conformity. He doesn't seek to have man bow down to Nebuchadnezzar when he plays the music. He wants you to be free. In America, you have an identity as an individual. 
The question is, do you exist for the government or does the government exist for you? This is a critical question to ask. Where most kings, sultans, emperors, socialist dictators believed that the lowly subjects existed for the benefit of the government ruling elites, in America, the government exists to protect an individual's God-given rights. Did you know that? Well, we've been living in California too long. <laughs> Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson wrote in American Communications Association versus Dowd in 1950, he said, it is not the function of government to keep the citizens from falling into error. It is the function of the citizens to keep the government from falling into error. <clears throat> Without a creator, government is the giver of rights and the taker. A government big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you have. Our young people don't understand that. They think government exceeds God, that government is the answer, but you've forgotten the sin nature. You must remember, everyone seeks to enslave you and they'll promise you. You see, the cheese on the rat trap is free for a reason. Eisenhower stated in February 20th of 1955, he said, The founding fathers, recognizing God as the author of individual rights, declared that the purpose of government is to secure those rights. In many lands, the state claims to be the author of human rights. If the state gives rights, it can and inevitably will take those rights away. Leaders can manipulate a person's desire... Ah, that was good. Leaders can manipulate a person's desire to be honored and their fear of being shamed in order to bring conformity. We've met some of them. They're called COVID Karens. And if you're named Karen, you're not one of them. Your name is cool. Theirs isn't. If the group honors you, your worth goes up. If the group shames you or ridicules you or ostracizes you, your worth goes down. And you're worried about that. The fear of man is a snare. What happened to the slides here? I don't know. Okay, here we go. Look at this. Honor-shame culture has now gone online with everyone wanting to be liked and followed and no one wanting to be unfriended or blocked. America is based on Judeo-Christian idea of each individual being granted rights from the creator, not from the group. George Orwell wrote, power is found in inflicting pain and humiliation. And so they start to make fun of you. They tell you that you're a conspiracy theorist. They tell you that you are a wacko frontline doctor. They tell you that you're a super spreader. They tell you it's about the science while they shut down our community from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Right. <laughs> that virus is insidious and brilliant. No, they're stupid. And they're tyrannical. And so, in America, you have an identity as an individual. They can shame you, try to cause you to submit and to yield. But God made us in His image, therefore each of us is unique and precious in God's sight. Jesus calls us to follow Him, even if it means rejection from our peer group, rejected by our mother, father, sister, brother. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn mother against father, brother against sister. And mother against daughter. The Lord said I, to, to, to the Father, I have given them thy word and 
the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The word ecclesia that Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock I'll build my ecclesia. It doesn't mean church. That came 400 years later. It means public square. It was a secular term Jesus co-opted. And in the ecclesia in, in ancient Greece, above the door of the gathering of these citizens to see how they would operate to establish laws for their community to flourish, they put these two words above the door of the ecclesia, isonomia and eleutheria, which means equality uh, and liberty, liberty and equality. Interesting. Our founders followed that. Now we've taken the word ecclesia and we've replaced it with church. That word didn't arrive until 400 years later, but we've created this church so that we have relegated the church to these four walls so as not to allow you to remember that you have always been called to the public square. And while we have been relegated by our forgetfulness to this building, the secular progressive left has dominated the ecclesia. While we have built buildings, they have taken over our schools. While we have built buildings and been worried about budgets, they have dominated the political landscape. They have rewritten our sexual education curriculum. They have rewritten science. They have indoctrinated our children and taken over our schools of higher learning. While we have been doing church, they have been participating in the ecclesia. You were worried. You thought I had a Biden moment. How does a man in a basement get 80 million votes? Just a question to ponder. Fear of man is replaced with only fearing God. Fear of man is a snare. And I must say that you have been created in the image of God. The Bible is the source of the idea that you have an identity apart from any group. You're precious to the Lord. We're equal. We're equal in dignity, not, not in capacity. Many, probably the majority of the folks in this room are smarter than me in your capacity. God's chosen to take the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. That's why he's put me behind this wooden stand. But nevertheless, we are equal in dignity before God. And you're an individual. Before God and before each other. You can't blame someone else. You can't blame them. You have responsibility. Because in America, you are equal with God-given rights. Being equal is mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal. We're equal. Equal in dignity, but not in capacity. No man is allowed to tell you you're worthless. No man is allowed to enslave you. No, no man is allowed to take your rights. Now, when you understand who you are in Christ, then you are not afraid. Because you know where you're going and who you are. You remember. And gone will be that spirit of fear, and it will be replaced with a, with a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You will stand fearless because you know what awaits you. You know the accounting you will give of your life before God. It's important that we understand this. Because in a nation that has forgotten that we are individuals and we're accountable to God, the tyrants have shamed us into submission. And that's detrimental. When my boys turned 13, individually on their birthdays, I took them for a walkabout. And I remember this because someone in the congregation asked me to recount what I did so they could do that for their 13-year-old. I took them to the cemetery and I had them look at a tombstone of a friend of mine, a very dear friend, one of, probably one of my best friends who died. And they knew who he was and they knew what he meant to me. 
And I said to my sons individually at the time of their birthdays, I said, what do you see? And they said, a year of birth and a year of death on the tombstone. We see a dash, and life is a dash, and we see a name. I said, what else do you see? And they said, we don't see much else. There's not many people here. And my comment to them was, every great journey begins with the end in mind. You see, son, you're accountable now. You're no longer a child. You're an adult. It's what the Jews call a bar mitzvah. You become a son of the law or a bat mitzvah, a daughter of the law. You're now accountable before God and before man. You can't blame your parents anymore. You walk in responsibility. The laws of nature, nature's God. And to do that, you need to understand that every great journey begins in the end, with the end in mind. The tombstone is there. And the dead are remembered no more. Their memory fades. Life is a dash. But a good name, Ecclesiastes 7.1, is like a precious fragrance. Better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. You were given a name. For my oldest son, I said, you're Daniel Robert Christian McCoy. For my younger son, you're, you're Michael Thomas McCoy. You were given that name at birth. Whether that name ends up being a, pl- a pleasant fragrance or a stench is de- dependent on how you live. I'm tired of people writing biographies that are still alive. Now they're on their third, and I speak of one in particular. <laughs> Very enamored with themselves. I only read the biographies of dead men because I know if their name has been a stench or a fragrance. And I would look at my sons and I'd say, you have to begin to realize that you're accountable to God. And every, every great journey begins with the end in mind. You will die and stand before God and give an accounting of your life. You've been given moral knowledge. You know the Decalogue. You know you're accountable to God and accountable to each other. You live in a nation that honors that. And you treat one another and you serve them. And as you serve them, that life of yours will become a fragrance. And in America, you are equal with God-given rights. G.K. Chesterton stated in What is America? He wrote, America is the only nation in the world that is founded on creed. That creed is set forth in the Declaration of Independence that all men are equal in their claim to justice. That governments exist to give them that justice. It certainly does condemn atheism since it clearly names the creator as the ultimate authority from whom these rights are derived. Calvin Coolidge, the president, wrote July 5th, 1926. He said, the principles which went into the Declaration of Independence are found in the sermons of early early colonial clergy. They preached equality because they believed in the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. In America, everyone is equal, not for any other reason than you are made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image, Genesis The Imago Dei. You've been created in His image. It's a manifold image that is diverse yet unified. As you drive over the grapevine in the spring and you see the manifold beauty of the multicolored flowers and the tapestry, they're not fighting with each other because they're different colors. They have been created, you and I have been created in the image of God. They're declaring the glory of God. We've been created in His image to love one another, yet we have a sin nature. We divide and we want others to be enslaved. We want to rule over them instead of serve them. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all. We'd rather have the tyranny of the Nicolaitans. We would rather compromise the truth of the gospel in order to bow the knee to Baal. 
but not in America. When we remember that we have been created in the image of God and that we are individuals and that we are equal with God-given rights. John F. Kennedy declared in his inaugural address, he said, the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. The declaration states, all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Every president has understood this, but as Americans, we are forgetting. We have forgotten to instruct our children. They don't know these truths. We have forgotten to instruct our politicians. We have forgotten to hold them accountable. The third idea is you can follow your conscience. Kings did not care about your conscience. They just wanted you to obey them. William Penn wrote, in England's present interests considered in 1675, he says, force makes hypocrites, it's persuasion only that makes converts. Our founders never wanted you to be persuaded to be a Christian. Why? Excuse me, they, they never forced you to become a, a Christian. They wanted to persuade you. God is a gentleman. He'll never force himself on you. You have a free will. You can look at his death on the cross and reject it, and you you can dismiss it historically and spiritually in any capacity you want. You, You have that choice. You have the choice to deny and exchange the truth for a lie. You can sear your conscience. You can kill another human being and not feel anything. You have that ability to be cold hearted, but everyone is given a conscience. We all know right from wrong. The heavens declare His glory. We know we're bound by these laws of nature and nature's God. We know them to be true. God is interested in you having the freedom of conscience to make a voluntary decision to love and to love Him. Not like Nebuchadnezzar saying, when I blow my trumpet, you bow down to my statue. I don't care if you have a warm feeling in your heart for my statue. You bow down or burn. You either submit to our decrees from Governor Mussolini or we will shut your church. We will fine you into oblivion. We will sue you until you bleed from a thousand cuts. And I don't care what you think about your First Amendment or your inalienable rights. He is declaring himself to be king of California. But as I read these scriptures, no Nebuchadnezzar is going to tell me what to do. And it's not going to happen. He can blow his trumpet and his narrative of deceit. And he can demand us to bow or burn. But I am not afraid of him. This is a nation where you follow your conscience. And my conscience, when I put my head on the pillow every night, I sleep like a baby. I want to be right before God, my wife and my family. Your opinion of me is of little concern. I've received letters from those who think I shouldn't have taken my tie off. I sent them 2 Corinthians chapter, or excuse me, 2 Samuel 6, when David danced in his underwear. I let them process that. I took my tie off, and that's disgusting. I understand virtue signaling and moral pietism, that somehow you feel better. And it usages your conscience of apathy and inactivity. 
why don't you get in the arena with us? Why don't you help us instead of sit idly by throwing and casting stones? We are allowed to follow our own conscience in America because God decrees it. When a pro-abortion presidential candidate declared in 2016, quote, deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases have to be changed. I love what former Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal responded with. He said, that's crazy talk. Our religious beliefs are between us and God, not us and Hillary Clinton. Tyrannical governments want to be unlimited. They want people accountable to them only and not to a power higher than government. When a government defies God, the individual has a choice. Pay attention. When a government defies God, the individual individual, has a choice. You can either deny your conscience... And surrender your soul to the state and risk punishment by God in the next life. Or follow your conscience, surrender your soul to God, and risk punishment by the state in this life. For 244 years, men and women have bled and died, and they have suffered to contend against tyrants and suffered on this earth to give you this freedom that you now comfortably enjoy. They endured hardship. Smallpox had a 5% death rate, and they willingly inoculated themselves during the Revolutionary War in order to fight to have the opportunity to secure liberty. Now you possess it. You and I possess it, and we have a virus with a 0.05 IFR fatality rate. And we don't even know if that's accurate because they've jacked the numbers so bad. And we are surrendering everything And bowing down as Nebuchadnezzar blows the trumpet and beats the drum. And we have to ask ourselves, we have a choice. Do we defy the government or defy God? When that government, that tyrannical government, steps between us and what God demands. In America, in America, we... We aren't called to that. Remember who you are. You have been given the freedom to follow your conscience. There's not conformity. You're an individual. That's America. Remember that. That's what being a follower of God is. That's what being a creature, a a child of God. If you think that the apostles didn't understand this, you're wrong. Peter said... Before the magistrate, he said, and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. They didn't care what would come of them. Paul the apostle, when I read that passage out of Galatians 3, stand faster for in the liberty for which Christ has set you free, he was in prison. Freedom of conscience. How did it become enshrined in the American legal tradition? It was after King Henry VIII broke from Rome in 1534, England began enforcing religious uniformity. You're going you're gonna to follow God the way I tell you to follow God. And a religious movement wanted to purify the Church of England from the inside. They were called Puritans. The king is not the head of the church. Christ is. 
Those Puritans were your founding fathers and mothers. They're the ones who landed at Plymouth Rock and gave us the Mayflower Compact 400 years ago this Thanksgiving. They're the ones who made the first political contract with the Mayflower Contract. They're the ones who committed this land to God. And they understood that freedom came from Him. God will not force our conscience. There are some in this room who will adamantly refuse to turn to Him and harden their hearts, and He respects your choice. There are those that will exchange the truth for a lie and allow their conscience to be seared. And, and, and you, you will be run by your emotions and your feelings and not by truth. Because you're lazy. And you believe people owe you something. And you blame your parents because you don't see yourself as an individual accountable to God. And you weren't breastfed, so it's somebody else's fault. And because you were given everything in life, you expect someone to give you something. And you want to create a government that will give you something instead of going out to work for it. And realizing you have freedom to become anything and anyone you want to be. But you were accountable for your actions because you were a son or a daughter of the law. And those laws of nature and nature's God require that you obey him. And if you don't, you'll face the consequences. If you want to exchange the truth for a lie and change the science and say gravity doesn't exist, you are free to go off that cliff. And that's what we're doing. Remember who you are. I'm almost finished. All creation obeys God, but only man has the choice to love God. Roger Williams wrote, God requires not uniformity of religion to be enacted and enforced in any civil state. James Madison wrote, It is the duty of every man to render to the Creator such homage and such only as he believes to be acceptable to him. You don't have to be in this church. No one's forcing you. This isn't a state-run religion. You've come because your stream of liberty has dried up. And you came here. And we have introduced you to the one who has given you these rights from, the, from before you were born. And 244 years of men and women realizing what they have secured, understanding what God has done, and understanding who we are in Him, and remembering. And it's time we dust off those old books and start to remember who we are in the eyes of God and who we are as Americans. Last two. In America, you can own property and decide what to do with it, even be charitable. I never ask you for money. I never will. But I will say this. America is the most charitable nation on the face of the earth. You combine all of the giving of Western Europe, it doesn't equal one-tenth of what America gives. Eighty cents in every dollar in evangelism comes from the United States of America. And the reason why is because we own property. And the more we have, the more we're willing to give. And we don't give it because we're forced to by the government. We willingly give it out of joy. Others believe they're entitled to what we own because we've worked hard. But in America, you can own property. You you can see the work of your hands. Kentucky and Wyoming have in their state constitutions a phrase, absolute arbitrary power over lives, liberty, and property of free men exists nowhere in a republic. Noah Webster wrote in his dictionary preface in 1841, let the people have property. And they will have power, a power that will forever be exerted to prevent a restriction of the press, an abolition of trial by jury, and the abridgment of any other privilege. You see, when you own property, you have skin in the game. 
But there's a reason why they're destroying all of our middle-income businesses and why they're wiping out the gyms and the restaurants and all of these businesses is because they want you to go away and they want you not to own property. They want to control the means of production and distribution. That is enslavement, and America needs to push back and stop this tyranny right now. Karl Marx wrote in his Communist Manifesto, the theory of the communists may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. Webster in 1828 defined property as the exclusive right of possessing, enjoying, and disposing of a thing, ownership. In the beginning of the world, the creator gave to man dominion over the earth. It is one of the greatest blessings of civil society that the, poverty of, uh, the property of citizens is well secured. When God gave the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, he knew that blessings would come. And when those blessings came, we would have property. And the Levitical laws is the protection of that property. And no one's allowed to take what you have worked hard to obtain. You can give it if you desire, but they're not allowed to take it. Ever. They have no right to it. This is America. Remember who you are. God gave us this ability to create and be stewards of what's been entrusted to us. Ronald Reagan said in October 27th of 1964 in one of his most famous speeches, he says, how government regulations effectively take away property. He basically said that this is what governments do. Pope John Paul II stated, socialism maintains that the good of the individual can be realized without reference to his free choice. The concept of the person as the autonomous subject of moral decisions disappears. From this mistaken conception of the person, there arises an opposition to private property. A person who is deprived of something he can call his own and of the possibility of earning a living through his own initiative comes to depend on the social machine and on those who control it. This makes it much more difficult for him to recognize his dignity as a person and hinders progress towards the building up of an authentic human community. Private property is both a gift and a certain type of power God has entrusted to humanity as stewards. You have to use it wisely. But this is what God gave you. This is what an American protects. And then finally, you can decide whether you can decide what to do with your life, what career to pursue, where to live, what food to eat, what clothes to wear, what music to listen to, who to marry, what to believe, what church to go to. Reagan said the founding fathers established the idea that you and I had within ourselves the God-given right and ability to determine our own destiny. Supreme Court Justice John Jay wrote in 1777, the Americans, and remember this, the Americans are the first people whom heaven has favored with an opportunity of choosing the forms of government under which they should live. All other constitutions have derived their existence from violence and accidental circumstances. Your lives, your liberties, your property will be at the disposal only of your creator and yourselves. In America, each citizen has been given a gift by the founders. You get to decide what to do with your life, not the state. Your lives, your liberties, your property will be at the disposal only of your creator and you.
Now, remember that. Remember who you are. This is America. This is why 5% of the population of the world is responsible for more patents, more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies, more accumulation of wealth, because we've had freedom. We've had individual responsibility. The state does not, gener- does not control the means of production or the distribution thereof. We get to own private property. We have the freedom of conscience. We are accountable to the Lord and we can be anything we want to be. And the only thing that stops you is your excuse. You want to blame someone else. You think that government is the answer. And if you can use the power of the government to take from somebody who you covet, that that's the answer. You're young and you have been confused. And you are wrong. Because you will breathe your last and stand before God and you will give an accounting of your life. He's given you dignity. He's given you the ability to make a good name for your life and to serve one another. He wants you to dust off the old books and remember who you are. You have been lied to and you've been deceived. You're a child of the king. You are a citizen of the greatest nation on the face of the earth, United States of America. In America, you get to be the king of your life. You are a co-king of America, and you get the voluntary choice of surrendering your life to the king of kings, the one who says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, the one who bled and died on a cross to deliver you from the bondage of the tyranny of sin and selfishness. The one who gave you a clean slate. The one who reconciled you to the Father. The one whose words so inspired the pilgrims to establish a land of refuge for those who would be fleeing religious persecution and would find a place that honored God because they honored one another. It's that God, that King of Kings, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I have a bucket of water for that. It's all right. I love that man. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We're not going to truncate the gospel. It is true that if you declare with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. It is true. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. His blood was shed and blood must be shed for the remission of sins and his was the sinless lamb of God. And that is a critical component of the good news. But lest you not forget that that God who has delivered you from death unto life and has paid a penalty you could never pay in a thousand lifetimes. And while you were yet a sinner and an enemy of God's, he loved you so much that he left heaven to die on that cross for you. He is there to redeem you from the slave block of sin and to put freedom in your heart 
and to allow you to once again understand the Imago Dei that let us make man in our image. Elohim, singular plurality, unified diversity, the Godhead. It's in Genesis. And yet when he does that, your heart will soar like it did when you first fell in love. And you will remember, some of you who have already fallen in love with that Savior, you need to remember today what you were willing to do back then. It's time to contend with the tyranny that has destroyed that love and to stand in opposition to that tyranny because love moves you and you remember who you are. You're a child of the king and you are a citizen of the greatest nation the world has ever known, the United States of America. God bless you guys. Remember, amen. Let's stand. Not for me, but let's stand, and I'm going to pray for you. I only went one minute over, so don't complain. Now nah, you weren't anyways. Lord, thank you for all who are present in the hearing of my voice. And Lord, thank you for reminding us who we are in you and the great gift you've given us of a nation that has declared our rights don't come from man but from God. There's no perfect government on the face of the earth, but this is the closest, this is the closest that a sinful man can come to establishing a nation realizing that we are accountable to God and to each other and that we are equal, not in capacity, but in dignity. We are individually responsible to you, that you have entrusted to us as stewards that property and that we can be generous and no one need take from us. God, to realize that we're accountable to you Lord, we're grateful in a day when tyranny seems to be rising that you would see fit to love us enough to awaken us and to say, remember and repent and contend with the Nicolaitans who seek to enslave and to enforce tyranny. God, awaken your church, your bride. Lord, bless my fellow shepherds. Open their eyes to lead the way to the freedom that is found in Christ, not just in the forgiveness of sins, but in the lifting of tyranny upon the land that would use law to silence truth. And God, thank you for Simone Gold, Dr. Simone, and others like her. I'm thinking of Pastor Jurgen Matisius and all those who are being persecuted in San Diego right now, across this land, who have given up so much for the sake of liberty for all of us. Let us not cower, but stand. To return to that first love that there's nothing we wouldn't do for you, God, and for each other. And I pray your blessing upon the landlord. Bless the pizza cookery, BSF Fitness, uh, uh, the Future Elite Academy, all these folks, Lord, that are standing in opposition to this tyranny. And Lord, give strength to others that would open up, remove the mass of social distancing, and stand in opposition to this tyranny. And God, please... If the newspapers don't start telling the truth, Lord, please put upon the hearts of the business owners, why would we invest in that which seeks our destruction and seeks not to tell the truth? So, Lord, help us as a community. Heal us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Be strong. <laughs>